Grace, mercy, and the peace of God our Father and our Lord Jesus. The one who arms us with the whole armor of God, who protects us and helps us to stand. Amen. Today we are going to conclude our Road to Recovery series that we started, well, gosh, a month ago or more, talking about what we thought was coming out of this time of pandemic and moving toward life as normal, working toward recovery from all the things that we've had to deal with over the course of the last 17 months. It's been difficult. It's been hard. Sheltering place, sheltering in place, washing our hands, maybe it felt like incessantly, distancing ourselves from other people, wearing masks, getting vaccines, and the whole regimen of things that we've been recommended to do or instructed to do, required to do even. The inability to worship together in the building for quite a long time was hard for us. So as I record this message and the pews are empty, it's kind of like going back in time for me. It's been hard. School at home was hard. Changing restrictions and recommendations and navigating what was required, what we should do, what we needed to do, has been hard. And along comes the Delta variant, which is making things harder. My first career coming out of school, I was an engineer, and so I took a lot of math and science classes, and I learned that the Greek letter delta in math and science means change. Delta means change. And so in that mode, the delta variant seems to have changed, not for the good. Life is hard. Not just the pandemic and all the things related to it that we've been dealing with now for what seems to be a year and a half, but life is hard in general, right? I mean, life is hard before that, before the burden of all that we've had to bear over these last 17 months. And sometimes we want to give in. Because life is hard, we want to give in to temptation. We want to find comfort somewhere, and so we look in all the wrong places far too often. We want to give in to the world's direction and just go with the flow sometimes because fighting the current of the culture is complicated. A long time ago, a family trip, we went to Alaska, and we were there in the summer, and Alaskan salmon swimming upstream is something to behold. These fish that travel from the ocean up the river and upstream inland to where they were born in order to lay eggs and propagate the species is amazing. Small places where there's almost like waterfalls and the fish jump. And you've probably seen the pictures of the bear standing in the middle of the river just waiting for that fish to leap out of the water so it can catch it in its mouth. Sometimes we feel like the salmon. We feel like we're 
fighting the current. We're heading upstream, and there's something in our way, ready to strike, ready to pounce, ready to devour us. So we want to just give in, go with the flow, float downstream to wherever that takes us because that would just be easier. Other times, we want to give up. When I was a kid, we had a collection of records that my parents had accumulated. And I remember one of the records that my sister and I at least looked at the cover of. I don't remember the songs. I looked up the, the recording online, and I found um, a clip of each of the songs on this record. It was called Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. And it was um, a musical from the 1960s. And maybe we felt that way. I don't remember the context of the musical or any, really, of the lyrics of the songs. We probably listened to it a few times, but I thought it was kind of funny, right? Stop the world from its rotation. I just want to get off. Like it's, a, like it's a, a carousel. And if we could just stop the world, we could depart, we could get off and just leave behind what is here. We felt empty. We felt worry, we felt stress, we felt exhaustion and burnout. Maybe more through the pandemic, but it's nothing new. Now add on top of everything that we've been dealing with for a year and a half, the crisis that's happening in Afghanistan, and American troops and involvement for two decades has been undone in a matter of days. And there's a mess left behind. And the, the difficulty of dealing with knowing that the people who've taken over mean to do harm to our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a hardship. That's a burden. And, and there's smoke hanging in the air that has filtered into this area from the north because there are fires that are burning thousands and thousands of acres and homes and businesses are in the way of those fires and in a different part of the world now a tropical storm near hurricane came through on the tail end of a major earthquake in Haiti there's disasters there's problems that persist in so many people's lives. It's all a wreck. It's hard to keep going. We feel overwhelmed. Just this past week, I was scanning through social media posts, and a friend of mine who is a pastor had uh, dropped a link into a blog post that well, it caught my eye because there was a picture of an electrical circuit box and the title of it was something to the effect of an essay about electrical circuits or circuit breakers. And I thought, well, that's different from what most things I'm reading look like. And, and so I followed it because some other friends had commented that it was so good. So I followed the link and I read the article and it wasn't really about the circuit breaker box. It was about an apartment that the author had had and when she turned on her hair dryer and her maybe stereo or something at the same time, 
the circuit breaker would go. And the analogy that she drew was that we're, we're becoming overwhelmed with all the news and all the burdens and all the things that we know about. In her writing, she said that the electrical service of her apartment was made for an older time, maybe before hair dryers. We are wired for a different time, a time when we didn't know everything that was going on everywhere. And now that we know things that happen in Afghanistan and Haiti and other parts of the world in real time, almost immediately, it's just overwhelming and burdensome for us. And so it's hard to keep going. She writes that we can't possibly care about everything we know about. And then when we don't feel like we care, we feel guilt for not caring. And it's hard. The prophet Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 17, has this contest with the prophets of Baal. And they go up on the mountain and they do what they do, and the prophets of Baal get no response. They're calling on their God to bring fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And so what Elijah does is say, he says, soak, soak it with water. Get water and pour over all the sacrifice and all the wood and everything else. And it's a drought, so water is scarce. And so they do that. And Elijah calls on God, and God brings fire from heaven, and it consumes the sacrifice and laps up the water and burns the whole thing. And it's a tremendous victory for God. Tremendous show of God's power. And then the prophets of Baal flee, and this is great accomplishment, and Elijah's right there to see it. And then the drought that's been happening is about to end, and he, he goes back to the capital city, and he, and he gets there just ahead of when the rain is going to start. So this is great news. Everything's trending in the positive direction, right? What do we do when things are trending in the positive direction? We feel confident. We feel joy. But Elijah's joy doesn't last long because Jezebel is the queen. And Jezebel says, well, if what happened to the prophets of Baal doesn't happen to you, I'm coming after you. It's a threat to his life, in other words. So in this moment of positivity and possibility, Elijah's trajectory suddenly changes. And so he runs. And in 1 Kings 19, verse 4, it says this, Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Have you felt like that? Like it's enough. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. I can't continue to go through the things I've been going through. I can't continue to bear these burdens. I can't continue to live this way. And maybe it's something completely different from world news and pandemic, maybe for you it's very personal. It's something going on in your family, something going on in your personal health, some chronic issue you've been dealing with, some relationship that is a hardship. 
And in all of it, we're ready to give in, to give up, to go with the flow, or to just be done. In all of that, God understands our weakness. In everything, God understands our weakness. Hebrews 4 at verse 15 says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus was tempted with hunger, with power and authority, with having angels at his command who would take care of him. And in all of that, he was without sin. And Jesus was tempted by any number of other things. Every temptation that we have faced, he understands. Jesus wept. He was burdened by sorrow. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. That's in John chapter 11 at verse 35. He lamented over Jerusalem, the city that would kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to help out Jerusalem. He cried out in prayer in the garden ahead of his arrest and trial and crucifixion. He cried out in prayer privately with his father. We see problems in this world Jesus knows way more than we do. We have a lot of information. God knows everything that's going on with every person in every moment. He knew that he would be betrayed and crucified at the hand of sinners and on sinners' behalf. He was aware that his friends would abandon him, that he was the target of people who wanted to take his life, even from the time he was a tiny child. Those people who, as an adult, threatened his life and carried out those plans. Jesus was burdened with sorrow, with difficulty, with stress and struggle, He understands how we feel, and his power is made perfect in our weakness. That's a reference to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Jesus said to me, that's Paul who is writing, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Those words were said to Paul when he was dealing with what he describes in 2 Corinthians 12 as a thorn in his side, in his flesh. What does that mean? Nobody's quite sure. People have tried to speculate what it was, that it was a physical ailment that he had, that he was struck with some kind of chronic issue. Others have suggested he struggled in his identity or he, that he struggled with some relational problem. We honestly don't know what the problem was, because Paul never says specifically, and I think he does that on purpose, because he doesn't want us to identify only with his particular problem, but to recognize that if Paul had a problem, Paul, the apostle who wrote all of these epistles, 
big percentage of the New Testament. Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, and traveled and established churches and did all the things that he did on the Lord's behalf. Paul, who understood the Lord's power and through whom miracles happened, and yet in his problem, the answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace to get through life-bearing burdens. Because honestly, God doesn't promise us easy, convenient, secure lives. If anything, the promise of Jesus in this world, you will have trouble or tribulation. We can identify with nearly every moment. But God's grace is sufficient for us, and the Lord lifts up the humble. We heard those words in Psalm 147. The Lord lifts up the humble. He gives strength to the weak. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Not all of that is in the psalm. But all of that is in the Bible, and those promises are true. In God, we can receive comfort and grace and strength and endurance. So stay strong. Most, if not all of us, have felt weak, overwhelmed, burned out, and burdened. Maybe more in the recent months than other parts of our lives, but we've struggled, and it has been hard. But be strong in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. This section about the whole armor of God begins with these words, these words that are very important. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Stay strong, but note the source of that strength. It's not our ability or our power. We typically try to overcome on our own. That in our power and in our strength, we can overcome our problems. And in a lot of ways, we've done that. We've solved our own problems. We've fixed our own situation. Again and again, and through those experiences, we just feel like we can do that every time, but sometimes we cannot. We can be strong, not in our strength, but in the Lord, from his strength, the one who guards and protects us. So put on the armor of God. This whole section's about this armor of God, and Paul goes on in Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the one who would undermine your confidence in God, the one who would try to snatch away from you your faith, who would try to push back against the grace of God. Those schemes, we have a defense against that. It's fall, on the school calendar anyway. Not quite officially, that happens in a few weeks, but this time of year we'll have on our television set regularly some college or professional 
football game happening. And those men are like modern-day gladiators. They wear, well, pads that are similar in a lot of ways to armor, protection for their bodies, protection against injury, against getting hurt in the game. Paul here describes putting on the armor of God and uses the reference to the, the Roman military soldier who that would have been an easy visual reference to make. For people in Paul's day, they would have seen Roman soldiers regularly. So listen to the elements of the armor of God. The belt of truth is where it begins. The belt was made to tie things together and to pull the tunic, the kind of longer and more cumbersome garment, up and tuck it into the belt so that one could be prepared for battle. Wear the belt of truth. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Speak the truth. Live in the truth. Tell the truth. Be honest. It ties it all together. To live in that truth. The second piece is the breastplate of righteousness. The, the piece that covers the important organs of the abdomen. The breastplate of righteousness. Guard your heart. Protect what's important. Through righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. Protect your heart. Paul goes on to talk about the fitted with shoes that are the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers would wear cleated sandals, maybe with the equivalent of nails, so that they could move and stand and have traction no matter what the surface that was under them. Shoes that would allow them to stand, to stand firm, to stand strong and not be slipping, and shoes that would help them to go. The gospel of peace is that which we stand on so that we can stand firm on the gospel of peace, on the peace that comes from Christ that passes our understanding, and that same gospel of peace sends us to share that peace with other people. The next piece is the shield of faith, the first line of defense, our protection against the slings and arrows that the devil would throw our way, those flaming darts that would come. The Roman shield could be soaked in water, which would make it a lot heavier, but then flaming darts would be extinguished. Roman shields could also be connected to form like a wall of shielded soldiers. We're connected to one another as Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need each other. We need to share this faith together and journey together through these difficult days. Next is the helmet of salvation, through which our minds are guarded because we are saved. Whether you're a soldier or a cyclist or a baseball player, we need to protect our brains. Guard our minds. Know that your life is already saved. Salvation is yours in Christ. 
Jesus. So no matter what happens in this world and in our lives, we are saved. Bought back, redeemed by the blood of Christ. Finally, Paul describes the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That sharp, two-edged sword, the only offensive piece in this armor, though it could be used for defense as well to block the strikes of the enemy. The Roman sword was short, not the broad sword that's more central Western Europe and easy for us to imagine. But the short sword, maybe 18 inches or so long, that was made for close combat. We have the sword of the spear, which is the word of God for close combat when the enemy is right up in our face. We can stand alone on the word of God and fight back. Following the example of Christ, who when he was tempted, he quoted scripture, wielded that sword of the spirit, wielded the word of God to fight back. Arm yourself, be ready for battle, and seek the kingdom of God. Our gospel reading for today from Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, which backs up to things people were worried about, what to eat or what to wear. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. God cares for you, for everyone. Don't worry about what's happening around the world. God cares for you. Don't worry. Even in this life, God cares for you. It doesn't mean don't take care of yourself. Don't try to do your best. Don't acquire the things you need. We need to participate in that, but don't worry because God cares for us. So in all the big problems and in all the little problems, all the global issues and our personal struggles, God is there and he cares for us. His eye is on the sparrow as the song says. How much more he cares for you and for me in all that we're dealing with. So stay strong, trusting in his power, armed with the whole armor of God, standing firm in our faith in all of this, in all that we experience. In the name of Jesus.